Tim Chang was born in 1991 and proudly admits to knowing nothing about anything that happened before 2003. Sheltered, innocent, and unaware, this is one man's attempt to show Tim Chang the wonders of the world around him. This is The Education of Tim Chang with your host, Josh Simpson. Hello and welcome to The Education of Tim Chang. I am Josh Simpson. And I am Tim Chang. How you doing, Tim? Doing, doing, uh, doing all right. You doing okay? Yeah, I'm chilling, man, hanging out. Wow, Tim's bringing the energy today. <laughs> uh, I'm uh, fantastic. <laughs> good. Um, today, our guest on the show is the one, the only, Mr. Joe Fartzler. There's only one of me, folks. If there were two, <laughs> it'd be one too many. That's I wouldn't mind two. With. Oh, is that, was that right? If there were two of me... Get a lot done. <laughs> I tell you, we'd sh- really shake things up. <laughs> Two hearts running around. It's a it's a frightening thought. I think we'd, dis- we'd one would kill the other. Yeah, <laughs> yeah within a few minutes. Within a few minutes. For sure. <laughs> uh, Joe Hartzler's on the show. Of course, uh, you could see him in all sorts of comedy videos on the inter- internet, including the new Barrack and Joe movie. Right? That's the first part of that's out. Yeah, on the internet. Oh. Yeah. So keep a clo- uh, close eye on that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we re- we released uh, you know like a twenty five, twenty seven, thirty minute. Maybe it was a thirty minute short. Yeah, it was the first part of the movie. The first That's great. Part of a movie. I just a I just remember stuff. that stuff there. Uh, Barrack and Joe. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll get to it at the end. Yeah. Um, also from the UCB Theater. Also, uh, maybe maybe sort of my improv wife, if there ever was such a thing. Yeah, we've been doing <laughs> improv together for a long time, and uh, the story I have to tell about doing improv in LA always starts with Josh Simpson. Got a wrangled up a practice group, and I made the I made it in. Actually, I made it in through Rob Pointer, right? Mm-hmm. That's correct. Them yeah. do this. Them do this, and that we did. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Joe's on the show today. I Twitter. Uh, I like Twitter a lot. That's. I think that's something I'm passionate about, Josh. At Joe Hartzler. We're gonna get to the shit at the end. I was just trying okay. to do an introduction. God damn. No, I'm just kidding. Why is your old pal? Uh, I know what your Twitter is, man. Jeez. Uh, you no. never fave my stuff. I don't know why you're not fave. <laughs> I never read Twitter. <laughs> Twitter is... Yeah, uh, there's a lot going on on Twitter these days. Um, uh, cool. Well, today we're going to be going over... Uh, we're going to be introducing Tim Chang to Mr. Charles Bukowski. Yeah. Uh, Henry Chinaski. What's that? Uh, Henry Chinaski is uh, the fictional version of Charles Bukowski. He writes about he writes about Henry Chinaski a lot. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I've got to come clean right up top here. I do not know much about Bukowski. That's, Joe, you're driving the <laughs> ship a little bit today. Uh, I know more than you. What do you know about uh, Charles Bukowski? I'm yeah, curious. let's start there. Uh, he's a drunk. <laughs> he's uh, uh, he had a lot of sex and uh, he's uh, he does a lot of drugs. Uh, I think he's also from Pennsylvania. No. Uh, he did something in Pennsylvania, didn't he? How do you know this? Uh, because uh, for Tournament of Nerds, my very first match, I went up against Ben Grant, who did Charles Bukowski. Oh, really? Yeah. How do you so, do it? I will be damned. <laughs> and he, well, it was my first, first of all, it was my first time doing the Nerds so show. you did not beat Ben Grant? With LeBron James, I did not beat. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, LeBron James versus uh, Charles Bukowski, yeah. Wait, that's the Tournament of Nerds? <laughs> you can do people like LeBron James? You can do anyone you want. Yeah. You never been? 
No, it's actually. I thought you had Mike, be, Mike see, Mitchell did the '86 Celtics. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> see, I've been afraid of this show because I'm like I'm not a nerd. You know, I'm into cool stuff. Yeah, I haven't done '86 <laughs> Celtics. That's in cool stuff for me. You still gotta, you still gotta go up against nerdy stuff, yeah. like Mega Man's and that of the world. But you can fucking do it. Whatever. Yeah. There, Wikipedia exists. There's not much to know about yeah. goddamn Hulk Hogan. I don't <laughs> know, dude. Joe, I think you'd be. I think you should do it, man. Yeah, you should yeah, do it one time. Maybe I'll think about it. Ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here first. Joe Hartzler is thinking about entering the ring for nerds. We got the exclusive. Uh, yes, yes. I could do it like someone from the Bible. Who? who is someone dumb? Je- is, so I'm sure you could Jesus do. I don't God. Think, I, I don't think God. Said God or Jesus. No. God would be pretty good. That'd be a fun one. Me, me, and uh, Waylon McQueen did Ronald McDonald and um, the Burger King, and we almost won the whole thing. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Were you McDonald? Ronald McDonald? Yeah. You had to be. Uh, uh, guys, let's duo. get to the good stuff. God damn it, yeah. <laughs> yeah Charles Bukowski, uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's, that's interesting, though. He, Bukowski and Tournament Nerds. So you must have made an argument against Bukowski. Yeah, I had to read up his Wikipedia. had to find out a little stuff about him. Okay, so you've got some backstory. Yeah. Yeah. Good. All right. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, I think that's great. Um, well, first, let's start by doing a little toast here to Charles Bukowski. Ooh, uh, whiskey in our hands. <laughs> God or someone, bless him, uh, as he ends one of his... <laughs> poems or short stories here uh let's drink we're drinking what we're drinking is uh three uh. jiggers of whiskey in a half water glass which is a phrase i always really liked from the short story head job uh which can be found in hot water music and it's just a fun weird short story and i just i love the way bukowski phrases everything he opens another short story with uh, my father's funeral was a cold hamburger which I really like. <laughs> and, uh, he's just got a, some nice phrases I really enjoy. Um, but I'm by no means like a Bukowski, Bukowski expert. I'm just a huge fan. This is a, a writer I love. And um, I think I, I guess I had a, a brief introduction to his poetry first, then got way into his fiction, and then um, only recently in the last couple of years finally went and read almost all his poetry, went back. Um, so I'll kind of talk about how I got into Bukowski and we'll read a lot of his poems because I'm by no mean um, by no means an expert. I'd rather just uh, let Bukowski speak for Bukowski. Hey, sounds great, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's why I'm on the show because I do know that you love this man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so um, why don't I start by um, well, I'll set the stage, I guess, for how when I got into Bukowski, and then and then we we'll start reading uh, some Bukowski. Uh, so I was bumming around uh, my nowhere town in Ohio, <laughs> and uh, it was like I was going to community college after high school, so just like a local college in this nowhere town in Ohio, and uh, and I, you know there was a lot. I was bored. I was like working, and I hated it. You know, um, mm-hmm. and I was a young man, uh, very inexperienced in the world, young, very Christian, very churchy, virgin. Uh, doe-eyed as someone once told me uh, a friend of mine uh, said in Europe she looked at me and said when I first came here my eyes were so blue and it was like the best thing I'd ever heard Uh, (laughs) I love that phrase so my eyes were very blue back then Uh, and I was just uh, starting to go through some crisis I think uh, the churchy girlfriend I was dating had broken up with me Mm -hmm. uh I was at odds with my father, mm-hmm. who I was like working for at the time, and it's like, 
when you're cooped up with your parents th- at that age, it's just, no good. Yeah, it's just it's only conflict. And Bukowski had a lot of conflict with his parents and uh, and his father in particular. Uh, and um, some friends of mine uh, became friends with a guy named Joe, who was an artist, and he lived above the coffee shop. And uh, He didn't live above a coffee shop. He had a small art studio up there. Mm-hmm. And basically was this really interesting person, and we would go up there and smoke cigarettes with Joe the artist and watch him work. And uh, it's the first time I ever heard Elliot Smith. He had a Alameda and X, or he had XO, I think. And mm-hmm. I think that's the first Elliot Smith album I heard. And he also had some... I. Th- I could almost swear he had a record with Bukowski on it. Somehow I heard Bukowski. And, but he also had some books around. And that's, I just remember briefly having this conversation. It's the first time I'd heard about Bukowski or a Ferenghetti, Lawrence Ferenghetti, and uh, who they were like friends. Um, and so the, my church was having a, um, a 50s doo-wop like lip syncing <laughs> thing they were having like a lip syncing and I went to this big church uh, that was big on recruiting basketball players <laughs> every year they would host this three on three tournament because I always joked that they liked basketball players to be Christians more than they liked skateboarders to be Christians <laughs> but anyway sorry I'm already bashing church you can't be a skateboarder and a Christian right? yeah you There's literally no can't it's in the bible that you can't be a skateboarder and be a Christian uh, that's true but uh, no so my little act of rebellion was at this 50s doo-wop thing I decided well part of the 50s was were the beat poets and knowing nothing I just like assumed Bukowski was a beat poet which isn't really true, uh, I wouldn't say. Um, uh, no, he never met Kerouac, is what he mentions uh, from time to time. Um, but anyway, I used him to represent beat poetry, and so instead of everybody was singing like doing poodle skirts and like doo wop doo wop shoo wop bang 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 bang, and uh, all these uh, they're doing this, and I went up and did a lip sync to a Charles Bukowski poem, and this was the poem. So this is called The Poetry Reading, and I wish I could find a recording of it, because him reading his poems is something in and of itself. But I'm going to kind of do an impression of him. Okay. <clears throat> so forgive me. I won't do it justice. Uh, so here it goes. So I'm up in front of my church. Doo-wop, doo-wop, shebang, shebang, poodle skirts. We love Jesus. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I got to read this poem. Um, at high, it's called the poetry reading. At high noon, at a small college near the beach, sober, the, the sweat running down my arms, a spot of sweat on the table, I flatten it with my finger. Blood money, blood money. My God, they must think I love this like the others. But it's for bread and beer and rent. Blood money. I'm tense, lousy, feel bad. Poor people, I'm failing, I'm failing. A woman gets up, walks out. Slams the door. A dirty poem. Someone told me not to read dirty poems here. It's too late. My eyes can't see some lines. I read it out. Desperate, trembling, lousy. They can't hear my voice. And I say, I quit. That's it. I'm finished. And later in my room, there's scotch and beer. The blood of a coward. This, then, will be my destiny, scrabbling for pennies in dark, tiny halls, reading poems I've long since become tired of. Uh, And I used to think that men who drove buses or cleaned out latrines or murdered men in alleys were fools. 
Okay, like so it's like a really bad Bukowski impression, but that's kind of the rhythm. That's no, how I, I hear it. it now, just after hearing him. And uh, then hopefully we'll let you hear some of him reading his poems, which is, uh, you'll get it. It's, it's a pretty cool thing. So yeah, Tim, what does that mean to you? So I think what he's talking about is that he's basically, he's doing poetry. He's a poet, but he's mm-hmm. struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, and what he's doing isn't exactly like a extravagant thing. He doesn't, it's not like a awesome thing. He's, you know, reading dirty poems. He's, you know, picking, you know, what is it? Uh, yes. Yeah. But I mean, like he's talking to the mic. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, but he's he's basically just uncomfortable this whole this whole time. Like he's just he's basically grinding, um, yes. basically. Yeah, and so like, and even towards the end, like he thought, oh, the people who are idiots are the ones who are killing people and doing these like, I guess, kind of normal, th- not normal, but like just really sh- stupid, shitty things. And it turns out he's actually probably doing it himself, which is he's he's a fool himself because he's doing this poetry thing that it's not and it's not a, a very it doesn't i guess there's no real like monetary reward or something i don't know yeah yeah he used to think that people that murdered people were fools but he's realizing he's a fool mm. he thinks it would be better to clean latrines than do what he's doing uh i totally relate to this in that when i think of like my like fr- some friends that are back home or not even back home, but, like, there are people that they, they just get a job and that's it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mean to be a dick about that. Like, that's not a bad or good or bad thing. But, like, there mm. are definitely people that, like, just get a job, go to that job, don't think about that job when they get home. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's the way it is. And to have something that you're passionate about but get no reward for is, like, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> In a way. Or yeah, and, and I think a lot of people are doing jobs i think a lot of people are stuck trapped in jobs like bukowski felt he was trapped when he was working for the post office but then here he is doing a poetry reading at a college which should be success and he's realizing like that too is cleaning a latrine yeah he's like here i thought i it's escaped the, the post office and now i'm stuck here it's like aren't we all trapped in some way and like that's why i talk about being like and we all we're trapped in a relationship or we're sort of trapped out of it. It's like every condition of man has a tinge of sadness to it. It's about how we like respond to that. No, totally. How we cope with that, how we deal with that, that creates something beautiful, something that's better than that. Can you relate to this Tim Chang in your life? Yeah, I think I I think I can. I definitely like earlier in my youth, uh which is, I guess not that long ago, but like it's like for granted, like a lot of stuff. Because now I'm like, now I feel like, oh man, like you know, the for me anyway, like when you get older, you start to feel. I guess at least for me, I feel, I feel like, oh man, I've got to like, I've got to like start start hitting off the ground. Like I, I've got to start doing a lot more stuff and like achieve more than like before. You know, I feel like every year, I feel like every year gets better for everybody. Mm-hmm. But for me, I feel like I've got to like, because I shouldn't, I shouldn't want to be stuck with, you know, just. I guess with a mediocre job or even not, not even mediocre, just like a shitty job. I should just be like going out, hitting hard, you know, grinding it and just be super successful, I guess. But eh, I don't, I agree with everything except for the last part, to be honest with you. Yeah. You know, I think 
Bukowski makes having a regular job really heroic. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like he fucking slugged it out of the post office. Yeah. And I think he realizes that and later he gets like some success and notoriety. Doesn't seem to make him any happier. Yeah. yeah. He writes yeah. about slugging it out. And I think that's kind of interesting. Um Awesome. And one of the reasons that Bukowski connected with me so much is that I've always um, liked poetry and um, known that I was I should like poetry because I want to be really interested in a lot of things. But for a lot of my life, I spent it like struggling to like poetry. And with Bukowski, it was never a struggle. It was just easy. Yeah. Um, and which is why I still often, if I'm just whatever, I have a moment, I'll grab a Bukowski book and flip it open, just read one of his poems. Almost as, like, relief? Yeah. Like a back scratch? Uh, yeah, and it's great that you mentioned the relief thing, because Bukowski doesn't provide a lot of relief. Um, oh, I just o- opened uh, one of his books and was like, for relief, seeking solace, and I opened it up, and it was one of the darkest sentences I've ever, I've ever read. <laughs> it was like the sideways sun, like, slanting, and it's like, we're all gonna die, basically. Uh, it wasn't exactly that, but uh, and it was much more beautiful. <laughs> but uh, I guess that's it, too, is I think um, it's really dark, but there's, like, a really simple, plain speech and a real beautiful rhythm to it. And he puts, he, t- he, d- he explains what he... F- Explains himself. I don't yeah, know. It's and not he that tells a story, and he's um, not making it difficult to understand. And it's a kind of a desperate story, and that's what people talk. I mean, he writes about drunks and whores and hemorrhoids and horses. Uh, I say it's <clears throat> tough to pick of those things which Bukowski loves the most, but the answer is Bukowski loves himself the most, <laughs> <laughs> and it makes sense because Bukowski was the greatest thing in his life, and Bukowski has been one of the greatest things in my life too. Nice. There you go. How did that go when you uh, when you read that to the church? Uh, people were just like <laughs> sort of shocked and stunned, but uh, uh, <laughs> but I was also kind of known as like a Joker guy too, so they kind of like laughed it off or whatever. But like Joe Hart said, the Joker guy. <laughs> <laughs> but this, I think, was the first time that I was starting to like wrestle with. Here's something else I feel about Bukowski. His honesty resonates with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, and I find in Bukowski more honesty than I ever found in the church. I feel like uh, the church, I found a lot of fantasy and a lot of uh, fake, a lot of nonsense and a lot of non-reality, the opposite of reality. And this is just dealing with reality. Cool. So cheers to that. And cheers, let's yeah. have another drink for Bukowski. For Bukowski. <laughs> And uh, LeBron James. Rest in peace, man. <laughs> that LeBron character. James. Give me your that... best slam you had on Bukowski. Uh, <laughs> uh, man, Bukowski was a drunk. LeBron James, he took down a whole city. <laughs> You're talking about Joe's two favorite people right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, these are two of my favorite people. Uh, all right. Uh, what's next, Joe? <clears throat> guide us. Guide us. Okay. Um, I think I should let you hear Bukowski read one of his poems because I think... You need to hear the way he reads his mm-hmm. stuff, not an, a bad impression of the way he reads his stuff. Cool. So let's stop and let him listen to some Bukowski. A what, bit. What's it called? Um, let's have, let's see. Um, okay, this is uh, Born Into This. Born like this, into this, as the chalk faces smile, as Mrs. Death laughs as political landscapes dissolve, 
as the oily fish spit out their oily prey. We are born like this, into this, into hospitals which are so expensive that it's cheaper to die, into lawyers who charge so much it's cheaper to plead guilty, into a country where the jails are full and the madhouses closed, into a place where the masses elevate fools into rich heroes. Born into this, walking and living through this, dying because of this, castrated, debauched, disinherited because of this. The fingers reach toward an unresponsive God. The fingers reach for the bottle, the pill, the powder. We are born into this sorrowful deadliness. There will be open and unpunished murder in the streets. It will be guns and roving mobs. Land will be useless. Food will become a diminishing return. Nuclear power will be taken over by the many. Explosions will continually shake the earth. Radiated men will eat the flesh of radiated men. The rotting bodies of men and animals will stink in the dark wind. And there will be the most beautiful silence never heard. Born out of that. The sun hidden there, awaiting the next chapter. So, that was born like this. Born into, into this. this. <laughs> Dying because of this. Uh... He's the best, and uh, boy, has he got a whiskey-soaked voice and a face to match. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, see, I got into his novels first, and um, one of the things I'm going to ask you to do is read Ham on Rye, which is, uh, he'll talk about like his childhood, and uh, you'll get a, he talks about his face. He had boils really bad when he was like a teenager, and so his face is all scarred from him. And you can, like, see it. There's some, like, just really... He just looks like such a dramatic figure anyway, like this scarred-up old man. And he wrote... Um, he did not live in Pennsylvania. He lived in Los Angeles. His parents were immigrants from Germany. And um, he talks about being conflicted over, like, in the during the World War, like, over Germany was... <laughs> <laughs> was like the the most evil thing ever and like you can tell he wants to have some sort of national pride in his germany but he he's supposed to be ashamed of it and there's a lot of um he seems conflicted in that way though i probably misrepresented the uh you know the whole thing but uh there are some issues of that um he uh he bummed around los angeles and like hit the dive bars around here there's a Bukowski tour you can go on, which I've never gone on. I would love to. But uh, he lived, like, right around here in, like, East L.A. and uh, hung out on, you know, on Sunset and talks about... He references driving on different streets around L.A. Huh. <clears throat> and uh, L.A. became, like, a huge part of... It's, it's like, part of the story. It's kind of a, a backdrop for Bukowski. It's uh, um, very interesting. Um very interesting. That's a time filler. Uh, <laughs> what else? Let's see. Let's. Um, Wait, that last what? poem was pretty pretty depressing. Yeah, pretty <laughs> intense and depressing. Born into this, right? Yeah, yeah. I think Bukowski tends to be uh, pretty dramatic, 
and I think he makes everyone, including himself, much worse than they actually are. Or maybe as bad as they actually are, but ev- no one, uh, like no one, you know, we all do we all kind of whitewash it. Yeah. You know, do we well, he made some it? pretty bold predictions. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which look like they're about to come true. In Which ones in particular? Yeah. Radioactive <laughs> humans eating the flesh of well, radioactive humans. I had a friend yeah. who recently ate the flesh of a radioactive man. Yeah, so in that way it is true. And he recommended it. He said it was good. Yeah, not bad. Yeah, he said it was not bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Now I want to read another one of Bukowski's poems. As maybe a Tim, balance. what do you think so far? Um, <clears throat> this seems to be, like, I would say Bukowski and Tim Chang are on opposite ends of the personality. <laughs> uh, m- maybe a little bit. I mean, like, I'm, I'm usually a pretty positive person, but at the same time, like, I still, like, feel like there's a... Like yeah, we're all we're all gonna we're all gonna die, and like you know, world's pretty depressing. Like, like I'm not gonna lie. Like, there's, you know, everyone goes through like bad stuff in their life. But I guess like the only mm-hmm. difference between me and Picasso is that like I guess I try and look on the positive side of things and always look on the bright side of, of your life. life. <laughs> you know where that song comes from? He has no idea. Uh, Monty Python, uh, uh, <laughs> Life of Brian, and he's hanging on a cross, and then he starts singing Always, always look, look on the Bright on Side the of Your Life, <laughs> which I think is relevant, because I think that's kind of the territory that Bukowski lives in, is like, it's so, so dark, but isn't there also some humor in that, and isn't there also some hope in that, and that people can relate to this sort of like, mm-hmm. yeah, we are kind of all in this stink together, uh, and it it does always end badly like and he and um Bukowski in particular <laughs> had a lot of like he's pretty like uh one of his books that I have of poetry here is called Love is a Dog from Hell like he has a he has a lot of failed relationships and a lot that come and go uh and so he's constantly kind of living in that territory but it's like but is it uh, I think to me it's like it's worth it for the story right <laughs> isn't it worth going through some trial because if it was all easy sailing i'm not interested in those people i get what you mean yeah yeah and so that's that's bukowski's a real anti-hero too he's like a real he was a working man and he was always broke he never had much you know uh, until late in life and um in fact there's a clip i'll show you here where he talks about the cameras came too late all the women came too late you know he was treated like a monster when he was in his early years like by women mm-hmm. um, and then some people would accuse Bukowski of treating women like a monster like monsters you know um, but in his, as he said in his own defense he's like I treat men were, just, read my writing I treat men just as bad if not worse than I treat women in my writing and I think he treats himself worse mm-hmm. um, to me Bukowski is a Christ figure and a much more honest Christ figure because he never claimed to be perfect, but he crucified himself for us. He, um, in his writing, and I should let let's we should have some read some more of his stuff and let him okay. speak for himself. I don't want to dictate it, but him, but to me, that's what redeems him is that he's being so much more honest than the church man dressed up in his fancy tie, going to you know what what I did for years and years, um, and I I think I dealt with a lot of dissonance from that of like why aren't we able to be honest if we're supposed to be seeking truth as like, I used to be a kind of a religious person. I was too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, You were too. And it's like, if we're supposed to be being truthful, why aren't we being honest about like the way things really are? 
But some people yeah, you're say exactly that's right. just being <laughs> that's, the, that's where the part happens, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so let's um, either watch another clip or read a poem. Whatever you like. I want to read a poem uh, because I'm going to relate it to improv. And this is, <laughs> this is kind of interesting. Okay, so uh, this is um, from Burning in Water, Drowning in Flame. Uh, selected poems from 1955 to 1973. Uh, and it's on page 16 to the horror to my poems. Well, I who knows what page is on in your edition? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if there's multiple. There's probably multiple editions. Uh, okay. To the horror took my poems. Some say we should keep personal remorse from the poem, stay abstract, that there is, and there is some reason in this. But Jesus, 12 poems gone, and I don't keep carbons, and you have my paintings too, my best ones. It's stifling. Are you trying to crush me out like the rest of them? Why didn't you take my money? They usually do. From the sleeping drunken pants sick in the corner. Next time, take my left arm or a 50, but not my poems. I'm not Shakespeare, but sometimes, simply, there won't be any more, abstract or otherwise. There'll always be money and whores and drunkards, down to the last bomb. But as God said, crossing his legs, I see where I have made plenty of poets, but not so very much poetry. Uh, so I read that one because, uh, it's, it's a classic Bukowski, uh, story, but also, um, the other thing criticism lobbed at Bukowski is that he's, uh, a bit of an egomaniac, um, <laughs> and I'd say that's true, but what artist isn't an egomaniac? Look at Little Wayne, you know, you kind of have to, to be, yeah, you kind of have to, to be, even make something. Yeah, to believe in yourself and think that other people should enjoy it or appreciate it, uh, ego, too. Yeah. Um, but uh, so yeah, he takes himself a bit seriously, and in he's saying, "Cut off my arm! Don't take my poems! Don't take what I've created!" Like he's treating his art as so great. But I love that that he believes in his own art mm-hmm. that much. That uh, to him, this is like the biggest treason treasonous act is to this whore took his poems and not his wallet, right? And then he starts talking very intelligently about poetry. What they say about poetry? They say leave remorse out of poetry, but. A whore stole my poems. Like to me, that's like a, a a big joke, because of the difference between his practical, his actual life, which is I'm fucking a whore, and what they say about poetry, what it should mean, what it should be. And here he is, is like I'm a real person. I just fucked a whore. She stole my poems. Like meaning, like she stole his right to write a poem. <laughs> well, do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, yeah. Um, yes. Uh, that's probably not right. No, no, no. I mean, there's no right or wrong. That's the great thing about it. But what I, one thing I love about Bukowski is like he's just telling telling a story. He's basically saying, hey, "I know what they say about poetry, and I know what critics say. Like I'm this intelligent person, but this intelligent person just fucked a whore, and she snatched my poems. Damn. It's like, how many people that you think fuck whores are worried about their poems getting stolen? You know, I think that's. To me, like, that really defines Pekowski, like... But she stole my poems, and it ends with, she stole, or, like, there's a lot of poems, but not a lot of poetry. Yeah. He's so like, it's kind of like, she stole poetry. my... In a way, it sounds like, she stole my poems means, she stole, like, like, my poems aren't good because she's in them. Mm. You know what I mean? But, like, at the end of the day, he says, there's a lot of poems, but there's not a lot of poetry. Yeah. And That's what it means to me in terms of speak in the abstract or speak. Mm-hmm. And head. even when he talks about 
Shakespeare, the fact that he brings up Shakespeare and says, I'm not Shakespeare, what kind of person has to deny being Shakespeare? Someone that thinks <laughs> that people are calling me Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> That's, yeah, he's a little cheeky. It's interesting. Tim Chang? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, we I mean, talked about it, but go ahead. I don't know, but it's still a little hard for me to like try and figure out exactly. I mean, like, I don't have it personal, personally, like, down also like i'm just not good at really like what do you think there's a lot of poems but not a lot of poetry means like at its essence like i interpret that just as like there are a lot of people who try and write poetry or poet they're poets they call themselves poets they try and they to complete write poems. poems but they're but like their content they're like the the essence of what they're writing isn't what it's it isn't good poetry you nailed Bingo. it. Bingo. I right. would suggest their writing lacks whores. And <laughs> whores meaning the real. Yeah, like right. The real, like, visceral, like, blood and guts of humanity. Yeah, that relates like, to improv to me. Yeah, yeah. Okay, here's where I want to relate it to improv, though. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and it's kind of harsh. Uh, I see where I've made, as God said, crossing his legs, I see where I've made plenty of poets, but not so very much poetry. Uh, I knew you were going to relate to that, to improv. There's a ton of improv going on right now. <laughs> In fact, I want to be invited to an event. Like, is there ever a time when the, when there's not improv happening? And I love improv so much, and I think that's why this is an issue for me, is like I worry that if there's so much of it, that it, does it all become static? Mm-hmm. And uh, I sit in these rooms and watch tons of improv, and uh, I feel like I see a lot of just pretty mediocre, bland, you know. Sometimes I see a lot of really good improv, but a lot of times I see boring, mediocre, bland improv. And I feel like, but no one's necessarily doing anything wrong. Like, they all get it, but how, so how do we keep ourselves from not just knowing improv, but how do we write poetry, right? How do we, so I change, uh, there's plenty of improv, but not so very much comedy, maybe all the time. And that's maybe just a criticism I would try to, hopefully it's an encouraging criticism, like how do we solve that? How do we remedy that? You know, it makes me want to be better, I guess. It makes me want to be the Bukowski of improv, right? I know what you mean. I th- I think that there's a little bit of it though where like especially improv is a skill you need to learn so mm-hmm. like people just have exactly you know you yeah. got to do it to get better at it yeah yeah this I'll probably listen back to this and hate it I'll be yeah. like, oh my gosh I sound like such an asshole like it sounds <laughs> like like I'm not saying I've got it figured out I'm saying that's a uh, for me I tell myself that too I never want to be one of the, just creating static I want to be doing something cool doing something cool um, okay. Let me read another one, and this one's a little bit shorter. Um, and I think it hit some stuff that we've brought up earlier. Okay, this is called Out of the Arms. Out of the arms of one love and into the arms of another. I have been saved from dying on the cross by a lady who smokes pot, writes songs and stories, and is much kinder than the last. Much, much kinder. And the sex is just as good or better. It isn't pleasant to be put on the cross and left there. It is much more pleasant to forget a love which didn't work, as all love finally doesn't work it is much more pleasant to make love along the shore in del mar in room 42 and afterwards sitting up in bed drinking good wine talking and touching smoking listening to the waves i have died too many times believing and waiting waiting in a room staring at a cracked ceiling waiting for for the phone a letter a knock a sound going wild inside while she danced with strangers in nightclubs 
out of the arms of one love and into the arms of another. <clears throat> it's not pleasant to die on the cross. It's much more pleasant to hear your name whispered in the dark. Um, which is amazing. <laughs> uh, he's basically like, fuck her. You put me up on the cross and you're out dancing with strangers in nightclubs. I'd rather just get in bed with someone else. What do you think, Tim? What do you, th- what do you make of yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, I sh- you should be talking. <laughs> uh... Hey man, whatever floats your boat, man. Just do, do what you got to do, man. I mean, have yeah. you ever been spurned by a lover and crawled into the arms of another? Uh, nah, man. I feel too guilty. I just be like, oh fuck, like I just feel bad. I think Tim's getting drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say for the record, yeah, I think and, Tim's a little drunk. And I don't know that I am brave enough to do that, you know. Mm. And it's like he's brave enough to not just do it, but write about it. Like fuck. Um, okay, we should get to some of his other stuff. Uh, I feel like we should address, because Bukowski is accused of um, being a misogynist, which I think is um, it's a fair accusation. <laughs> He's on video kicking, <laughs> kicking, uh, I'll show, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry I, shouldn't, I shouldn't laugh at it. There's an interview where he's getting really drunk, and um, his then partner, or whatever that he's living with, they're kind of, they start kind of getting into a fight, and it's pretty late on in his career, like, it's pretty recent, you know, video, but um, he's on the couch, and um, yeah, he starts being a little physical, physically violent, and it's really not cool. Maybe we should show that clip. I don't want a woman out six nights a week after two not two a.m. in the morning. I don't care what. It the wasn't like that for six nights a week. The the month of May, you were out fifteen nights past midnight. <laughs> That's true. The calendar is marked. So uh, what? So what? What this do you is think? Why what? Wait a minute. I'm going to get an minute. attorney wait, wait, to get wait. you off of my ass. Why are you so why offended by? Why should I tolerate by, you? Why are you so offended by me doing something else? Because I live with a woman, or she lives with me. She doesn't live with other people. I do live with other people, and I'm going to for the rest of my life. I know I'm going to turn you over to them. Don't no, you see? No. 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 Oh, shit! You fucking whore! You think you walk out on me every fucking night? You fucking whore! You bitch! Who do you think you, I am? Just, I'm gonna do this, live with other people. I do. You fucking shit! Okay, well, so, yeah. So back, back clip. Uh. Yeah, man, that's uh, I guess, I was, I guess I was messed up. I mean, but he was drunk. He was upset. Uh, I guess that's normal. I mean, it's not. It's not a complete. It's not really that unusual. What, what did you see? Tell us what. You um. Well, it was just. It was an interview, right? They were doing a documentary on Bukowski, and uh, he was basically saying that hey, he was telling his, I guess, his partner or his girlfriend that, you know, you've been going around town with strangers, dancing with them, and. Uh, he was upset at that, and he was just saying, "Well, I don't think she was just dancing with them. Oh, he was asleep. <laughs> she was fucking around with them. Yeah, yeah, but doesn't matter. Uh, but what else? Go, go on. I think um, she was just dancing, <laughs> uh, dancing, aka uh, uh, fucking. Um. <laughs> <laughs> That's just not true, Tim. Anyway, <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. Um, 
yeah and so he was just again really upset he was saying stuff like uh, you know you're not the only woman out there i could get another one uh and then and then she just kept i guess like pushing him i guess i guess i mean she was not really like aggravating him but she just kept talking about how like <laughs> you know are you uh, blaming her no just kidding i'm not really blaming i'm not really well, blaming what happened her. then what happened what makes this a uh, and then, well, it was de- it was a very uh, significant clip, I guess, because then he started kicking her, uh, got up from the couch, and I guess I don't know if he started beating her, but uh, he, he yeah, got physical. It looks with like her. he starts to attack this person, and yeah. um, <clears throat> fuck that, it's awful. Yeah, there's no excuse for it, and um, I mean, it kind of like what he did on the couch. It kind of looks like when you're in a fight with your brother and you start, you know, it's like you start doing the kicker move. Yeah, it didn't look like it wasn't like a stomp. Yeah, it but wasn't it still like he was curb stopping him. But he's still like being physical uh, with the woman, which is you know what he looked like to me, honestly, a drunk. That's yeah. a, he just looked yeah. drunk, like, and it's awful. But he looked like a drunk guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, but that's what's unfortunate though is um, because I can defend Bukowski to a point, like with the way he treats women. But then there's also the other side, and I think he's aware of it, and. I think in his writing, he almost plays into it. And that's one of the ways that I sort of defend Bukowski is that I think he's more honest than most people are. And I think he's willing to paint himself as the villain. He's the ultimate anti-hero. And I want to read a short story. Okay. Um, Maybe just, it might be too long to read on the thing. It's a couple pages. But uh, but, uh, where I think it typifies him as a, just when you think he's going to, well, I don't want to tip it. Uh, Okay. What's it called? It's called Home Run. Okay. Are we recording? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. I guess I was about 28 at the time. Sorry. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've been drinking, guys. Maybe you should have Tim do it. I'll read it. Yeah, okay. It's, uh... (laughs) (laughs) That's a lot. Well, I'll read it. (laughs) Let's do it. All right. We can all take turns. We can pass it around. Yeah. (laughs) uh, Yeah, like like an elementary school. Uh, Popcorn. All right. Home Run. I guess I was about 28 at the time. I wasn't working, but I had a little money because I had lucked it at the track, finally. It was around 9 p.m. I had been drinking in my rented room for a couple of hours. I was bored, and I came out and started walking down the street. I came to a bar across the street from my usual bar, and for some reason I went in. It was a lot cleaner and fancier in there than in my usual bar, and I thought, well, maybe I'll luck into a class piece of ass. Now you're going to read this whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, I sat sat down near the entrance, took a stool a couple of seats away from this girl. She was alone, and there were four or five people, men and women, at the other end of the bar. The barkeep was down there talking to them and laughing. I must have sat three or four minutes. The barkeep just kept talking and laughing. I hated those pricks. They drank all they wanted, got tips, got ass, got admiration, got everything they wanted. I pulled out a pack of smokes, tapped one out, no matches, none at the bar. I looked at the lady. Pardon me, got a light? Irritated, she dug into her purse. She came up with a book of matches, then without looking at me, she tossed them down. Keep them, she said. She had long hair and good body. She had a fake fur coat and a little fur hat. I watched her tilt her head back after sucking at her smoke. She exhaled like she really knew some good, some goddamn thing. Those are the kind you like to belt whip. The barkeep kept ignoring me. 
<laughs> You're definitely reading this whole thing. <laughs> yeah, you just ended that paragraph with, those are the kind you like to belt with. <laughs> Holy shit. Like, right. Okay. Uh, what, do you want to read it? you want to read like a page? No, dude, you're reading the whole thing. I gotta read the whole thing? <laughs> I, gotta read, I gotta read half of it. You gotta nah, keep you're going. reading the whole thing. Keep going. All right. I picked up an ashtray, held it about two feet above the bar, and dropped it. That got him. Came on down, treading the boards. He was a big one, maybe six feet four, 265 pounds. Some fat around the gut, but big shoulders, big head, big hands. He was handsome in a dumb kind of way, a strand of drunken hair hanging over one eye. Double cutty sark on the rocks, I told him. Good thing you didn't break that ashtray, he said. Good thing you heard it, I answered. The boards, the boards creaked and groaned as he walked back to the mix, as he walked back to mix the drink. I hope it doesn't mix me a Mickey. I said to the girl in the fake mink. Jimmy's nice, she said. Jimmy doesn't do things like that. I've never met a nice guy named Jimmy, I told her. Jimmy came back with my drink. I reached into my wallet and dropped a $50 bill on the bar. Jimmy picked it up, held it, held it up, held it up to the light and said, shit. What's the matter, boy, I asked. Never seen a $50 bill before? He walked off down the boards. I took a hit of my drink. It was a double all right. Guys... Guy acts like he's never seen a $50 before, I said to the girl in the fur hat. I carry nothing but 50s. You're full of shit, she said. No, I'm not, I told her. I took a dump about 20 minutes ago. <laughs> Big deal. <laughs> I can buy anything you've got. It's not for sale, she said. What's the matter? You got a lock on it? If you have, don't worry. Nobody's going to ask for the key. I took another hit. Want a drink, I asked. I only drink with people I like, she said. Now you're full of shit, I told her. Where's the barkeep with my change, I thought. He's taking a long time. I was just about to drop the ashtray again when he came back, cracking wood with, a dumb, with his dumb feet. He put the change down. I looked at it as he started to walk off. Hey, I yelled. He came back down. What is it? This is change for a ten. I gave you a fifty. You gave me a ten. I turned to the girl. Listen, you saw it, didn't you? I gave him a fifty dollar bill. You gave Jimmy a 10, she said. What the fuck is this, I asked. Jimmy began walking off. You can't get away with this, I hollered. He just kept on walking. He walked back to the gang at the end of the bar and they all started talking and laughing. I sat there thinking about it. The girl next to me blew a plume of smoke out of her nose. Her head tilted back. I thought about smashing the mirror behind the bar. I'd done that once at another place, yet I hesitated. Was I losing it? That son of a bitch had pissed all over me with everybody watching. His cool worried me more than his size. He had something else going for him. A gun under the bar? He wanted me to play into his hand. The witnesses would be his. I didn't know what to do. There was a phone booth near the exit. I got up, went over, got in, dropped in a coin, dialed a number at random. I would pretend that I was calling my buddies, that they would come right over and bust up the bar. I listened to the number ringing at the other end. It stopped. A woman answered. Hello, she said. It's me, I answered. That you, Sam? Yeah. Yeah, now listen. Sam, a terrible thing happened today. Wooly got run over. <laughs> Wooly? Our dog, Sam. Wooly's dead. Now listen. I'm at the Red Eye. You know where it's at? Good. I want you to bring Lefty and Larry and Tony and Big Angelo down here fast. Got it? And bring Wooly, too. I hung up and sat there. I thought about calling the police. I knew that would happen then. They'd back up the barkeep 
and I'd end up drunk. I'd end up, I end up in a drunk tank. I got out of the phone booth and walked back to my bar stool. I finished my drink. Then I picked up the ashtray and dropped it hard. The barkeep looked at me. I stood up, raised my arm, and pointed a finger at him. Then I turned and walked out the exit, his laughter and the laughter of his crowd following me. I stopped at the liquor store, picked up two bottles of wine, and went to the Hotel Helen, which was across the street from the bar I'd been in. I had a girlfriend there, an alky like me. She was ten years older than I was, and she worked as a maid there. I walked up two flights, knocked on her door, hoping she'd be alone. Baby, I called. I'm in trouble. I've been fucked over. The door opened. Betty was alone and drunker than I was. I walked in and closed the door behind me. Where was your drinking glasses? She pointed and I peeled a bottle and poured two. She sat on the edge of the bed and I sat in the chair. I passed her the bottle. She lit a cigarette. I hate this place, Benny. How come we don't live together anymore? You started running the streets, baby. You drove me crazy. Well, you know how I am. Yeah. Betty took her cigarette and absentmindedly pushed it down in her into her bed sheet, into the bed sheet. I saw the smoke start to come up. I walked over and lifted her hand. There was a plate on the dresser. I got it and brought it over. It had dried food on it. It looked like a tamale. I put the plate next to her on the bed. Here's an ashtray. You know I miss you, she said. I drained my wine, poured another. Look, I got short change out of $50 to cross the street. Where'd you get $50? Never mind, I got it. That son of a bitch shortchanged me. Why don't you bust him up? You scared? That's Jimmy. The women love him. Every <laughs> night after the bar closes, he goes out back in the parking lot and sings. They stand around and listen, and then one of them gets to go home with him. He's a hunk of shit. <laughs> he played football for Notre Dame. What kind of crap is that? You go for this guy? I can't stand him. Good, because I'm going to bust his sack. I think you're scared. Ever see me duck a fight? I've seen you lose a few. I didn't answer that remark. We kept drinking and the conversation wandered around to other things. I don't remember much about the conversation. When she wasn't running the streets, Betty was a pretty good soul. She had sense, but she was confused. You know, a total alky. I could quit for a day or two. She never could stop. It was sad. We talked. We had an understanding which made it easy to come around, which made it easy to be around one another. Then it got to 2 a.m. Betty said, come here, watch. We went, to the, we went to the window and there was Jimmy, the barkeep, out in the parking lot. Sure enough, he was singing. There were three girls <laughs> watching him. There was plenty of laughter. Much of it about my $50 bill, I thought. Then one of the girls got into the car with him. The other two walked off. The car sat a moment. The lights came on, the engine kicked over, and then he drove off. What a flash ass, I thought. I never turn on my lights until after the engine kicks over. I looked at Betty. That son of a bitch really thinks he's a hot number. I'm going to bust his sack. You don't have the guts, she answered. Listen, I asked. You still have that baseball bat under your bed? Yeah, but I can't part with it. Sure you can, I said, handing her a ten. Okay. She slid it out from under the bed. Hope you hit a homer. The next night at 2 a.m., I was sitting in the parking lot, up against the side of the bar, crouched behind a couple of large garbage cans. I had Betsy's baseball bat, an old Jimmy Fox special. I didn't have wait. I didn't have to wait long. The barkeep came out with his girls. Sing for us, Jimmy. Sing us one of your own songs. Well, all right, he said. He took <laughs> off. <laughs> he took off his necktie, stuck it in his pocket, <laughs> unbuttoned his shirt at the neck, lifted his head to the moon. 
I am the man you're waiting for. I am the man you must adore. I am the man who will fuck you on the floor. I am the man who will make you ask for more. (laughs) (laughs) And more and more. The three girls applauded and laughed and crowded around him. (laughs) Oh, Jimmy. Oh, Jimmy. (laughs) Jimmy stepped back and looked the girls over. They waited. Finally, he said, Okay, tonight it's Caroline. With that, the other two girls looked crestfallen, obediently ducked their heads, and walked slowly out the parking lot together, turning a smile and wave at Jimmy and Caroline as they reached the boulevard. Caroline stood there, slightly drunk, swaying on her high heels. She had a nice body, long hair. She seemed familiar, somehow. You're a real man, Jimmy, she told them. I love you. Bullshit, bitch. You just wait and suck. You just wait. You just want to suck my cock. <laughs> uh, yes, that too, Jimmy. Caroline laughed. You're gonna suck my cock right now, Jimmy said. Suddenly, he sounded mean. No, wait, Jimmy. That's too fast. You said you love me, then suck me. No, wait. Jimmy was pretty drunk. He had to be to act like that. He had to be to act like that. He had to be to act like that. There wasn't much light in that parking lot, but it wasn't that dark either. But some guys were freaks. They liked to do it in public situations. You'll suck me, bitch, now. Jimmy unzipped, grabbed her by that long hair, and forced her head down. I thought she was going to do it. She seemed to relent. Then Jimmy screamed. Screamed. She had bitten him. He pulled her up by the hair and hit her. Fist closed across the face. Then he dug up a knee between her legs, and she fell, motionless. She's out cold, I thought. Maybe I'll drag her back by those cans and fuck her after he drives off. Damned if he didn't frighten me. I decided not to come out from behind those garbage cans. I clutched the Jimmy Fox slugger and waited for him to leave. I I watched as he zipped up and walked gingerly to his car. He got the door open, climbed in, and sat there a while. Then the lights flashed on and the engine kicked over. He just sat there, revving his motor. Then I saw him climb out. The engine was still running. The lights were on. He walked around to the front of the car. Hey, he said loudly. What's that? I see you. He started moving toward me. I see you. Who the fuck is hiding behind those cans? I see you. Come come on out of there. He came toward me. The moon behind his back made him look like some godforsaken creature out of the low-budget horror film. You fucking roach, he yelled. I'll stamp the piss out of you. He came at me. I was caught behind the garbage cans. I raised the Jimmy Fox slugger, came down with it, and caught him squarely on top of the head. He didn't drop. He just stood there staring at me. I hit him again. It was like an old-time comedy movie in black and white. He just stood there and made a horrible face at me. I slipped out from behind the garbage cans and started to walk away. He followed me. I turned around. Leave me alone, I told him. Let's forget it. I'm going to kill you, punk, he said. Those two big hands reached for my throat. I ducked away and swung the bat at one of his kneecaps. There was a shot like a gun going off and he dropped. Let's forget it, I told him. Let's leave it like this. He was, he was on his hands and knees crawling after me. I'm going to kill you, punk. I put the wood on the bat I put the wood to the back of his neck as hard as I could then. He was stretched out next to his unconscious friend. I looked at the girl, Caroline. It was the one with the fake fur. I decided I didn't want it after all. I ran over to the barkeep's car, switched the lights off, killed the engine, pulled the keys, and threw them onto the roof of the building. 
Then I ran back to the bodies and got Jimmy's wallet. I ran out of the lot, walked south of, south of feet, and then said, Shit! I turned and ran back to the lot in the garbage cans. I left my whiskey there. A fifth in a paper bag. I got it. I went south again to the corner, crossed the street, found a mailbox, looked around. Nobody. I took the bills out of the wallet, dropped the wallet into the box. Next, I walked north until I came to the Hotel Helen. I went in, went up to the stairway, knocked on the door. Betty, it's Benny. For Christ's sake, open up. The door opened. Shit, what is it? She asked. I've got some whiskey. I got inside, put the chain on the door. She had the lights on. I marched around cutting them off. Then it was dark. What's the matter? She asked. You crazy? I found the glasses and with a shaking hand poured two. I took her to the window. The police cars were already there, lights blinking. What the hell happened? She asked. Some guy busted Jimmy's sack, I said. You could hear the ambulance coming. Then it was, then it was in the parking lot. They loaded the girl in first. Then they got Jimmy. Who's the girl? Betty asked. Jimmy. Who got Jimmy? What the hell does it matter? I set my drink on the windowsill and reached into my pocket. I counted out the bills. $480. Here, baby. I handed her $50. Jesus, thanks, Benny. It's nothing. Those horses must be really coming in. Better than ever, baby. Cheers, she said, lifting her glass. Cheers, I said, lifting mine. We clicked glasses, then drank them off as the ambulance backed out, turned south, siren on. It just wasn't our turn yet. Nice job, Tim Chan. All right. Yeah, yeah that was great. Nice job, Tim Chan. <laughs> uh, let's talk about that real quick. So uh, so I feel like the story really gets at the whole issue of Bukowski, which is like just when you think your narrator is about to do something heroic, it's like I guess he's like playing with the idea that like, hey, you started rooting for this guy, like this awful person. And then just when you think he has a chance to do something heroic, he does the worst thing ever, which is like, oh, the girl's knocked out. Maybe I'll drag her behind these trash cans and basically rape this person. So he immediately... Do you think Bukowski thinks it's okay to drag someone behind trash cans and rape someone? I don't think he's. I don't think he thinks exactly. it's okay. Exactly. It's like, he's not endorsing that. He's creating this... He's That's part of the story. It's a horror story in a way. Um... <clears throat> He makes you sort of root for this horrible person. And I think in a way, it's like, aren't we all sort of like complex, like in some ways terrible people that we have to root for anyway? I see that. Like we try to be our best people, obviously, but it's like... Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I think it's interesting. And he, Bukowski's the ultimate anti-hero. It's like... He, he makes you sympathize with his... With, with, with like these shitty with something terrible yeah, and what yeah. does that say about humanity I don't know like, he makes you almost try to understand where he's coming from yeah <laughs> uh, which is I don't know something you know I, th- I think it's interesting yeah I like the I like that the guy that everyone's that, the, that everyone's <laughs> interested in is just a guy that just sings to the he's moon he's the basically. worst <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> every night he goes out there at 2 o'clock and sings to the moon yeah, and it's like, obviously, Bukowski's got a sense of humor. Like, to me, that's hilarious. Uh, and at the end, he's got a weird tr- triumph. Did he actually pull, rape the girl behind the dumpster? Or did he suggest no, it? it yeah, was, no, it he was didn't actually do it. It was like a fleeting yeah. thought that he had. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. reminds you that, oh, yeah, I'm watching. I'm through the eyes of a bad person. And then he basically beats a man with a baseball bat. <laughs> who was just trying to sing to the moon. Of course, then he does make him the ultimate villain, like... 
Because all of a sudden, well, all of a sudden, Jimmy starts going, yeah, bitch, suck my dick. And it's like, whoa, like immediately. And there, like, I feel like Bukowski's morality is evident throughout his writing. And he intentionally pushes that envelope and, like, makes you almost want to hate, want to hate him. But, like, that's where his art lives, you know? Um, uh, so what do we, is Ham on Rye next or what, what happens now? Well, um, let me see. Uh, I want you to listen to this clip. Somebody reading a Bukowski poem. I think this is the counterbalance to everything that we've hit so far. Okay. So. What's it called? Um, hang on a second. It doesn't matter. We'll say it on the way. It's Bluebird by Bukowski, but it's going to be read by someone else. And you can find this on YouTube, and I think you should. It's it's a great reading. Even though it's not Bukowski, I think it's a great reading. Cool. Uh, so let's check that out. There's a bluebird in my heart that wants to get out, but I'm too tough for him. I say stay in there. I'm not going to let anybody see you. There's a bluebird in my heart that wants to get out, but I pour whiskey on him and inhale cigarette smoke. And the whores and the bartenders and the grocery clerks never know that he's in there. There's a bluebird in my heart that wants to get out, but I'm too tough for him. I say, stay down. Do you want to mess me up? Do you want to screw up the works? Do you want to blow my book sales in Europe? There's a bluebird in my heart that wants to get out, but I'm too clever. I only let him out at night sometimes when everybody's asleep. I say, I know you're there, so don't be sad. Then I put him back, but he's singing a little in there. I haven't quite let him die. And we sleep together like that with our secret pact. And it's nice enough to make a man weep, but I don't weep. Do you? Uh, And that was um, Bluebird by Bukowski and I feel like it's and especially that whoever reads that does such a nice job but it's a really sweet poem it's like there's a bluebird in my heart I want to know what Tim Chang thinks yeah yeah what do you think Tim Chang um I don't know I always like to like I always like to act like oh no I'm I'm okay I'm not I'm never sad I'm, I'm always like a positive dude and everything's okay but you know uh I think at least, especially this year, I've started to feel more like, no, I think I can be more vulnerable and just kind of, I guess, be sad about things. I don't know if that's anything to do with the, the Bluebird poem, but I mean, like... I think you're... Yeah, Tim Chang, I think you're a Bluebird, my man. <laughs> I think... <laughs> Tim Chang is I, the little Bluebird in our hearts. <laughs> I think, But I think Tim Chang's Bluebird is on the outside. <laughs> I think a gent... Right? Bukowski's an outwardly sad and messed up guy. Not to be not messed up, but he's an outwardly uh not to say that I think this about him, but he's an outwardly like uh I would the word that's coming to mind is pathetic, but that's not true. Like he's an outwardly like he's the loser. He plays the loser. He plays the loser and I think he's happy to do so. Yeah. And like I think he finds some comedy there and some hope there. And I think Bukowski plays this character like especially in his writings of the awful and the worst people so that we don't have to almost it's like he he lets you sort of fantasize about this horrible dark underbelly without ever having to go get whores and go 
um, murder men and alleys and, you know, whatever. But he visits these areas and he's our narrator mm-hmm. and he may or may not be a good, a good person, you know? But I, what redeems him to me is the, um, the brutal honesty. Like to mm-hmm. me, it's like closer to the real human condition, which is like, everybody's sort of desperate. If, if not, everybody's a drunkard and stuff. Everybody has stuff mm-hmm. in burning in water and drowning in flame. There's a t- italics between one of the sets of poetry. And it says, uh, if you think I have gone crazy, try picking a flower from the garden of your neighbor. And I just love that phrase of like, you could some see someone going ape shit over someone picking out a, a flower, which is, he writes about flowers a lot, uh, which I love the flowers stand up a little straighter on their stalks or whatever. Um, on their strings, I think actually in that poem he, he references, but, uh, but I love it. Like there is clearly a soft side to Bukowski and, um, and like, he's like basically going like, yeah, you think all this, these, this awful story I wrote about a person beating some of the bat and thinking about raping someone. Uh, you think that's crazy? Try picking a flower from your neighbor. Like that's just a very practical thing. You could see that neighbor going ape shit. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think of that, Tim Chang? I think he reminds me of the the Joker. <laughs> Just in the sense I like Lukowski's the Joker. Kind of, in a sense, because the Joker is trying to make people do things that he's doing. And he, but the thing is, like, he's honest with himself. He's like, "Yeah, I'm a terrible person, so I'm just gonna do whatever." And he's obviously like an exaggerated version because he goes out and he actually murders people and does whatever he wants. But like. You yeah, know? I don't think Bukowski actually ever murdered someone, but <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, but like, you don't he, know that <laughs> he starts in a real place with with his, which is what he knows, bars, and then ends in this, you know, murders, which I don't think Bukowski murdered people. Yeah, but it's like writing would, I guess, like, I guess, kind of like show that dark side, which is what the Joker has always been wanting to do with humanity, which is like to show that hey, we're all terrible too, so let's just all be terrible together, and. I guess that's what he was trying to prove in Tim Chang. That's fucked series. up, man. Hey, that's fucked up. I, I really more. I'm. I'm, I'm more like that. Jeez, man. What we were having. Doing? We were trying to have a fun time. He's here. talking about a dude that's a misogynist. And we're just having fun. <laughs> <laughs> what else? What do we got? We're we gonna do Ham uh, on Rye. Yeah. So I think uh, I want to have you read Ham on Rye. I want you to read some of his. Um, that is the tiniest glimpse into his poetry. His poetry, every poem to me reads like a short story, which is why I love it so much. It's like not tough to get into. But now I want you to read some of his actual stories. I think uh, because I got into Ham on Rye was the first thing I read of his. And then Post Office. But Ham on Rye is a lot about his childhood and a lot about his life. And I think you will really like it. Cool. We should talk after that. So read that and I'll talk uh, in a little bit. The first thing I remember is being under something. It was a table. I saw a table leg. I saw the legs of people and a portion of the tablecloth hanging down. It was dark under there. I liked being under there. It must have been in Germany. I must have been between one and two years old. It was 1922. I felt good under the table. Nobody seemed to know I was there. There was sunlight upon the rug and on the legs of the people. I liked the sunlight. The legs of the people were not interesting, not like the tablecloth which hung down, 
not like the table leg, not like the sunlight. Then there is nothing, then a Christmas tree, candles, bird ornaments, birds with small berry branches in their beaks, a star, two large people fighting, screaming, people eating, always people eating. I ate too. My spoon was bent so that if I wanted to eat, I had to pick up the spoon with my right hand. If I picked it up with my left hand, the spoon bent away from my mouth. I wanted to pick up the spoon with my left hand. Two people, one larger with curly hair, a big nose, a big mouth, much eyebrow. The larger person always seeming to be angry, often screaming. The smaller person quiet, round of face, paler, with large eyes. I was afraid of both of them. Sometimes there was a third, a fat one, who wore dresses with lace at the throat. She wore a large brooch and had many warts on her face with little hairs growing out of them. Emily, they called her. These people didn't seem happy together. Emily was the grandmother, my father's mother. My father's name was Henry. My mother's name was Catherine. I never spoke to them by name. I was Henry Jr. These people spoke German most of the time, and in the beginning, I did too. The first thing I remember my grandmother saying was, I will bury all of you. She said this the first time, just before we began eating a meal. And she used to say it many times after that, just before we began to eat. Everything seemed very important. We ate mashed potatoes and gravy, especially on Sundays. We also ate roast beef, knockwurst and sauerkraut, green bees, rhubarb, carrots, spinach, string beans, chicken, meatballs and spaghetti, sometimes mixed with raviola. There were boiled onions, asparagus, and every Sunday there was strawberry shortcake with vanilla ice cream. For breakfast we had French toast and sausages, or there were hot cakes or waffles with bacon and scrambled eggs on the side, and there was always coffee. But what I remember best of all were the mashed potatoes and gravy, and my grandmother Emily saying, I will bury all of you. She visited us often after we came to America, taking the red trolley in from Pasadena to Los Angeles. We only went to see her occasionally driving out in the Model T Ford. I liked my grandmother's house. It was a small house under an overhanging mass of pepper trees. Emily had all her canaries in different cages. I remember one visit best. That evening she went about covering the cages with white hoods so the birds could sleep. The people sat in chairs and talked. There was a piano and I sat at the piano and hit the keys and listened to the sounds as the people talked. I liked the sound of the keys best up at one end of the piano where there was hardly any song at all. The sound the keys made was like chips of ice striking against one another. 
Will you stop that? My father said loudly. Let the boy play the piano, said my grandmother. My mother smiled. That boy, said my grandmother, when I tried to pick him up out of the cradle to kiss him, he reached up and hit me in the nose. They talked some more and I went on playing the piano. Why don't you get that thing tuned, asked my father. We're back, and we've read Ham on Rye by Charles Bukowski. Tim, you read all of this I read the today. first five, the first <laughs> five chapters. Weeks. Oh, no. The first five chapters two weeks ago. Chapters are about six pages apiece. <laughs> it's a very short book. <laughs> yeah. It should be noted. It's a, it's a very short book and very easy to read, right? You breezed through yes. a lot of it today then, right? Yes. Well, I woke up at 8 o'clock and I read chapter 6 to 58. <laughs> <laughs> I read everything oh, but the last 80 pages today. I've read the book a couple of times, but um, uh, yeah. I only read half of it recently. <laughs> oh, so. shit, guys. No, I'm just kidding. I, I should have said I read all of this book. I read the last 80 pages today. Yeah, uh, yeah well, what would you think, Tim Chang? It was, it was interesting. It was... Uh, not your typical literary work of fiction. So uh, yeah, I'm gonna change. I want to tweak something here because I've been listening to the podcast recently, and like I, w- I don't want a qualitative like scale of one to ten rating. That's not what I'm looking yeah. for. What I'm looking for is what you thought of it. What I think. Okay, I thought it was. There was I had mixed mixed emotions on this because it was like, um, I mean, different parts of his life, had you know, sparked maybe react differently. Um, but overall, I'd say it's very depressing, a little bit repulsive. Um, felt a little hopeful. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what was depressing and repulsive about it? I mean, a lot. I think you're right, but just. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like him just like being cooped up in his room because of all his boils is fucking sad. <laughs> Cause, yeah. I mean,. You know, I've been I've been there. <laughs> um, you mean the, not with the boils? Not with part. boils, but I mean acne. You know, stuff like uh, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had really bad acne. Yeah, almost it seemed like it was like fucking leprosy. Yeah, it sounds like he really did have like a really bad case, <laughs> and all well, his, and that could probably be treated a little better now. I'm sure. Yeah, oh, yeah, but they just had no clue, and that's what he says is one of the things that he's frustrated by is that they clearly didn't know what to do with him. Right, they were like experimenting, like. Were they like drilling shit into him? Yeah, yeah. Popping his boils on his back. Yeah. yeah, yikes! And you see, I mean, that's part of what I think captivating about Bukowski is when you see this figure and you see him read. It's like such a he's got a really scarred face. It's a man that's seen a lot, right? Okay, yeah. you keep keep going. Um, so, well, yeah. What else was repulsive, or what was the other word used? Depressing. Uh, Depressing yeah. and repulsive. Um, I mean, it was very vulgar. Like there was a lot of cunt talk there's a lot of um, cunt chit chat yeah uh <laughs> i've never seen the word cunt being used so many times in a book i like uh when he's talking about uh, miss greedus who is uh the, the teacher, teacher that's always sitting on the desk with her skirt hiked up high and he says he says her legs were like looking so good that it's, it's it makes me laugh he, he was saying that um it looked like maybe something better than a cunt was up there. <laughs> <laughs> I've 
heard him talk about that before. I watched that documentary on him. Just kind of <laughs> a very peculiar yeah. attitude to have towards it. Oh yeah, I mean he's he's brutal in the way he talks about sex and uh, about women. Um, <laughs> yeah, I agree. He talks uh, about the uh, that Miss Greta scene. There's a kid beaten off in the back. <laughs> oh, yeah. about it. I wonder how much of that, like how much of this do you think is true, or is like true to his life? Like, is it? Um, like, do you think I he think, takes liberties? I've, yeah, he definitely takes liberties, but I think lots of it is truth or inspired by true. Um, but I think lots of it is fiction. Um, but people have said that when he strays too far from the truth, like his his straight up fiction isn't isn't that great. Like, um, what is it, Factotum or something like that? I, or, or there's another one. Is that a book? He's written a couple of just like really straight up novels that aren't based on himself, Henry Chinaski. They're just uh, kind of other people, and um, it's not quite as compelling as uh, Ham on Rye or uh, Post Office, which is his other great novel. Or Women is another novel uh, that's kind of seems to be pretty based is on it all him, about. So. Oh, Chesinski, is he in that one too? Chinaski, yeah. Chinaski, son of a bitch. Um, all right. A lot of cunt talk. You didn't. You didn't appreciate that. Uh, w- one thing I will never forget was when he talked. When he almost hooked up with uh, Jimmy's mom. Yeah. There was a f- wart, <laughs> like yeah. on the thigh. Oh man, that was a really yeah, so, so what's the point description. Of we yeah. should give it. We should give a, a a little summation of this. So he's getting drunk with his friend Jimmy. Right. Mm. His mom works at a bar. And he's always being mean to his friends, I think, is what's is something that's really interesting. Like, the people that are nice to him, he's always kind of a dick to. Like, I remember in this scene, he gets he gets Jimmy really drunk, and yeah. he keeps taunting him, kind of like, you know, you're yeah. a man. There's so many, he's always talking about who's a tough guy. He's like, yeah, you stole the beer like a man, not yeah. drink it like a yeah. man, after Jimmy throws up. So he's drinking with his friend Jimmy, his friend Jimmy passes out, his friend Jimmy has a very attractive mother. Who works at this bar? Who they say right before this, his Jimmy's father killed himself over. He said, "If you don't right. come over here right now, if, if you don't tell me you're coming back to me right now, I'm going to kill myself on the phone." And then he kills himself on the phone. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Henry stays up waiting for this woman to come home. Yeah, he tries to seduce her. She, she has her. You're you're so young. I know your mom. Those kind of thoughts, and then she eventually gives exactly. into him, mm-hmm. and he's a virgin, by the way. Yeah, and, and he's then, trying to be a, uh, a tough guy. He's trying to be a man. So yeah, and then what happens? Uh, and then she yeah she gives in and she lifts up her skirt and then takes off her panties right and it's it was he described it as like a dead it was dead like her bush was dead <laughs> <laughs> and gray mm-hmm. uh, not blonde like her hair and uh, there was a wart on her left thigh. Yeah, he starts noticing some of the human qualities of this person. It's not a fantasy anymore. It's like a reality. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, okay, this is something... Um, well, yeah, yeah, go, uh, go Sorry, sorry. I want to get into this with you, Joe. So then he what? He leaves. So he just takes off, yeah. So what What do you think... Why do you think he did that? What do you think... What do you think that story is about? What do you think... Why do you think Bukowski sat behind a typewriter and, and put that to page? Mm. I mean, he had high. Exp- I mean, throughout the whole story, he's had expectations of what you know that was going to be like. I mean, uh-huh. all, I mean, all the teachers and girls and whatever. So when he finally gets that opportunity, and he doesn't, it doesn't match his expectations. He kind of just moves on, I guess. He doesn't want to 
have any part of that. Right. Okay, well, I, I mean that. that's really just—I mean that's just really just an explanation, but it's not really a. I, I guess I didn't really. Joe, sorry. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think he's writing about every young person's struggle to come to uh, grips with a mature approach to sexuality. Mm-hmm. You know, it's um, as a kid, and I, I think he does a great job. Like kids are kind of little little perverts in ways because they they don't know what sex is. It's this big mystery, and um. I think he describes like all these encounters where he's having just like these kind of weird fantasies and masturbating and like it's just like how he found out about masturbation. A buddy came and tapped on his window and showed him a, a vial oh. full of his own sperm. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> it's like so odd. Like you know, their um, understanding like the of the sex <laughs> is so yeah. These kids have no idea, you know, and that's I mean, kind of everyone kind of goes through that as a young person, like growing up, coming to grips with what is this big mystery yeah i think it might be like and many of us still don't know oh no i don't think anyone does <laughs> what think, is sex um it's when you uh, <laughs> it's when you put your balls <laughs> <laughs> again it's up against your butt right <laughs> yeah and then you're good uh, uh i if i were i kind of read into it like you did a little bit that part which is just like yeah, the f- the thing of like fantasizing over something and then dealing with the stark reality of it, and then also realizing like like coming to a little bit. Like I think yeah. he even said like I can't believe someone suicided over that. Oh, right. yeah. And I think yeah. there is like a little bit of a trance. <laughs> yeah. Like, like it's happened to the to anyone where you're, like get obsessed with something for a second, and then you're like, wait, that's the fucking stupidest thing. Ah, you know, or like something snaps you out of it. I don't know. Yeah. Okay, so you're repulsed. You're depressed. Uh, was there anything you liked about it? Uh, I liked when he was in the library checking out books that was because uh, it seemed like up until that point he almost it almost seemed like there was nothing really going for him like he was he no matter how hard he tried in other things like they it still weren't he was still wasn't good enough like baseball he could never hit but he was hard he was a hard hitter but Not he couldn't a kid. because he was um, never given a chance you know like i think right. there's a lot of themes about he's a loser he's he knows he's always going to be a loser yeah he was dealt this hand of a loser but so how does he how can he possibly see himself as a hero or something? What can he find that's redemptive in himself? Um, well, I, I love the line when he says, uh, you know, I had more than they did, even if it was just hardened shit. Like he talks about when he was a kid, like I actually just opened that like page. holding his shit. <laughs> and he's like, even if it was just hard shit, it was more than they had. He had something. Um, Tim, so what else? What, what else did you like about it? You liked the book part? So n- you yeah. don't have to think just about the story. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, what do you think about it, the way he wrote? Uh, I mean, I was just like the style of the writing. Um, I mean, it was very straightforward. It was very direct. And like, like also there just wasn't... Uh, I mean, it seemed like it was just him... Like... Like most of the stuff I read, he's very like, like the the grammar felt uh, a lot stronger and stuff. And in this case, I mean, he just says, it's it's very vulgar, it's very like crass, and the way he talks, like the tone also just feels kind of, to me, it just felt kind of very flat. Maybe I don't know. Like, it just it just seemed kind of very uh, like. Uh, I mean, I don't want to shit on him or anything, but. It's just kind of, uh, yeah, like, 
like I said, very direct. It was just exactly what he wanted to say. He would just say it as opposed to trying mm-hmm. to make something like throw in some glamorous metaphor or something like that to describe how he felt or something. You know, it was instead of using like a metaphor or something, he would just flat out say how he felt or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think... Um I think he lets his stories speak for themselves without feeling like he needs to do a lot of work to dress them up. I think mm-hmm. the beauty of Bukowski's writing is in its plainness. Um, I think some of what makes the obscene stuff more obscene is the fact that it's reading like um, a children's textbook at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I like that. Uh, but it's definitely a style, and it's like people comment on it. Do you find something? Uh, l- go ahead. Yes, the one about red. What were you gonna um, say? Oh, I just I was just gonna say I like the um, I mean he's a poet before he's a novelist. Um, but I like the uh, rhythm of his uh, dialogue. I think sometimes gets is such it's so great, such great rhythm, and sometimes really funny. You know, mm-hmm. he really gets what's funny about it. Yeah. Um. I. I agree. I kind of agree with that, especially with this um, one about Red, who was like, "I that's that's like his true first friend, right?" The uh, guy he threw the football with. Yeah. Um, yeah, that one was a little. That one made me feel a little hopeful because I was like, "Oh, finally, he's got a, he's like like a homie that can like look out for him, and they don't have to they don't ever have to." He's like Red's never a dick to him like everyone else, and he's not really a dick to Red. Um, but I mean, there's this last paragraph. Markdown was, uh, <coughs> it was a month or so later that Red's family moved. One day they were gone, just like that. Red never said anything in advance to me. He was gone. The football was gone, and those tiny red fingers with fingernails, they were gone. He was a good guy. Like that one, like, struck at me because even though as plain as saying he was a good guy is, like, I mean, that's yeah, all you can say is hey, that guy was a cool dude, and man, now he's gone. And he's yes. never mentioned again. Yeah, I I love it. And and there's an example of the way like his simplicity really pays off because for him it's all about like good guys and bad guys sort of. It's all about like are you a tough guy or you you know, he's constantly trying to navigate this moral terrain or whatever. Mm-hmm. So when he calls Red a good guy and he's been so cold and unfeeling towards so many other things, it's like, yeah, you know he really meant it. Yeah, for sure. Um yeah, that one really stuck out to me. Uh Yeah. Um, wonder what happened to Red. Um, okay, I'll bring up something that I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you like the themes of, uh, I mean, he's always trying to defend his Germany, and I feel like that's <laughs> such a, I feel like he does it on purpose to be really controversial in a way, mm-hmm. but, um, it's a theme throughout the book where he kind of play, intentionally almost plays the bad guy. Yeah. And, um... I think there's a lot of interesting things to be said about that. Um, well, I think it's got to dig at his core a little bit. Yeah. The fact that that's where he's from, and exactly. that's one thing that makes him different than the people he's around, is that he is from Germany, exactly. born in Germany. Like, exactly. He's, <laughs> he has to answer to that <laughs> no matter what. It's how, how can he be proud of his heritage and his identity with, in, in the face of the atrocities of World War II? Mm-hmm. It's like I think a lot of that. I think that's also kind of a 
a metaphor for himself. He, I think he feels like a monster so often, but how could, but he also feels heroic sometimes. Mm-hmm. Totally. It's, it's like, how can he be proud of himself when there's all these, you know, when and he, then there's all this cunt chit chat, <laughs> you know, when he talks about like how all the professors at his city, co- at Los Angeles city college, are all, like uniform in their, in their hate for Hitler or whatever. And yeah. how they hate that. <laughs> and and how he hates that. I mean, you know yeah. what I mean. Like how he just doesn't like. He he does he doesn't like that. It's like so uniform, I guess. Uh, but then he talks about when he starts like making the argument on behalf of Nazis. He says explicitly, "It's nothing against the blacks or the Jews." He never had a problem with them. Uh, uh, but then he talks about the people that. <laughs> were attracted to that like when he would like just argue and even says like it's easier to make an argument when you don't believe in it like (laughs) yeah yeah exactly he started just kind of taking up that cause just to piss people off and at one point uh he runs into a professor that's kind of talking the same way of 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 him and he's like are you full of shit and he's like i'm not saying you know is are you full of shit you know they both kind of just like bluff like they might just be stirring the pot but I don't know. But if then he does in- attract some actual Nazis who end up being terrible. <laughs> yeah. Is, okay. So um, is this when he he goes to a couple meetings with um, those Nazi guys that he meets uh, at school? Is I can't remember if it's in Ham on Rye or if it's a short it's story. Yeah. Um, and you see how crazy they are. Like I mean, he clearly like does not identify at all. He was like sort of being swept up. Yeah, with Baldy or whatever. <laughs> yeah, he wanted to, he wanted and he wanted to get alcohol. <laughs> so he was like, he was just like, oh, I'll put up with this shit, and then uh, eventually that falls apart. Yeah, I forget exactly quickly. how, but it does. Um, Tim, um, um, let's. Are you a Nazi? Um, no. You don't identify with them, me neither. I don't identify with Hitler and his Nazism. Um. I marked this part about a bulldog. Oh, right. Uh, so this is one of the parts where like, I felt like, okay, he's kind of compassionate after all the terrible things that we've kind of read so far and how mean he is. Um, but he felt compassion for this cat who was cornered yeah. by these assholes and their bulldog. Oh, yeah. Um, and that, would, that one hit me because I was like, because also like when you in retrospect when you re- like when you look back at that whole novel as a, as a whole it's like it was kind of hard to root for him sometimes yeah but then you remember like oh he had a good friend like I like I just talked about how Red was a good guy because yeah. he said he was you know he had compassion for him and also now he's like I guess my favorite parts are just him being like a good person yeah because um, yeah he was trying to stop those guys from getting that cat murdered but what's the more notable part about like for me I so there's a cat. And there's a bulldog that's cornering this cat. And there's a bunch of kids egging it on. And he suspects, oh, I think they created this situation, right? Yeah. But what happens, like, for me, the big lesson from that or what I take from that story happens after, like... All right, he just walks away. He walks away eventually. But even the, like, what, the mailman is watching. No, the dad. One of the dads. Yeah, one of the dads. And, like, and his wife comes and she's watching. And he's, like, everyone, like, all of society is rooting for this bulldog. I would suggest that he is the cat. (laughs) He's the cat that's cornered. And he's been born into this. He feels like it's rigged. He's broke, impoverished. He's getting beat on by his father. Like, none of it's fair. Yeah. None of it's fair. But also, yeah, I think when he looks at the cat, like, he's... He re- he's looking for someone to to take responsibility for this cat, and he realizes not even the adults are going to do it. 
Yeah. So then he walks away. I think yeah. you're right, though. I think that it, like that is how maybe it, how he identifies with that cat. But also, yeah. like for me, that's a. Don't you remember the first time in your life you saw an adult and you're like, oh. He's a fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, I think that's kind of an important realization. Like, because yeah. you grow up thinking for so long that, yeah. like, like, you're just wrong because you're a kid. Yeah. And then the first time you're like, oh, there's an adult and he's an asshole. Like, that's kind of important. Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah, and he runs into so many asshole adults. Yeah. And they've always got it out for him, you know? Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, I, I, uh, I was going to say, you know, I think he's also... Um, <coughs> Bukowski is uh, he's constant. He's talking about like he knows they went broke, and I think that's really interesting. And historically, like when our country was broke, and um, <clears throat> I think he's dealing a lot with the um, the illusion of the American dream and like how far away from it he is, and like but his parents are constantly trying to get him into rich. Like I think he feels like that's part of his problem is the that there is an American dream, and that uh, there's things that he knows he doesn't have. Mm-hmm. Yeah doesn't have a nice car he doesn't have his dad doesn't have a job but he keeps going to work i love that like he just leaves every day to, yeah to yeah. keep up the illusion that he's going to work yeah exactly and then i love when uh the teacher's asking uh what their parents do and he doesn't know what to say so he says <laughs> dentist and then they get to another kid and he says uh my dad doesn't have a job and he, and, uh, he says i wish i had thought of that <laughs> <laughs> yeah what do you got there tim um I think I marked down the first time he started drinking. Oh, uh, with this friend in the wine cellar? Yeah. I think this was... Um, he. I don't think he just... Dis- wait, did he describe it already? But at some point in the book, he did say, like, um, wow, this stuff is, like, helping me. This is going to help me for a long time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and I thought that was pretty significant. But I also thought... Um, maybe it's kind of true, I guess. I don't know. Do people... I mean, people drink their problems away, right? I mean, also, this, this is also the reason... <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> Why do you drink Tim Chang? To to have fun. And to, I guess yeah, not to think about, you know, um things that would normally worry me like I feel like I'm more uh, assertive if I drink, more likely to speak whatever is usually on my mind. Much um, more likely might not to throw up outside thing. of a bar. <laughs> yeah, much yeah. more likely. <laughs> um but also I mean, I think he mentioned something about like he would have killed himself if he didn't start drinking. Yeah, his life was had has been so miserable, and finally he he like finds a tiny little bit of relief, and it's like alcohol. So of and Which and is really sad. <laughs> and of course, a person raised like that went through these things. Of course, he finds alcohol. You know, I also relate to like not even who cares like the like I know what you're saying about like the oh this he knew he would always do this or whatever, but like I also. I understood that, and I also understood a little bit, like, didn't... I kind of felt that way when I first got drunk. I felt like I was let in on some secret or something That's like true. that. That's true, yeah. I felt like I, was, like I was like, oh, all right, let's do this every night. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Why wouldn't you? <laughs> uh, uh, especially yeah. if you lived in an old... F- go and drink at your friend's farmhouse or in my yeah. basement anytime you want. Or, like, the first time I got stoned, it was like... Like, I remember uh, the first time I went to Disneyland, I was really, really disappointed. But the first time I got stoned, uh, it was exactly what I was hoping Disneyland would be. (laughs) It was like magic. You know, you should just get stoned at Disneyland. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) All right. But going back to your thing about, like, the drinking or, like, his depressing life, I I marked this off today. It was really quick. I, this is when he was like in a, excelling at ROTC. For some reason, he oh, found yeah. himself in ROTC. Yeah. Uh, 
I think it was to cover his uh to cover his like boiled, I think, or something like that, right? That was the reason why he joined ROTC. Yeah, he didn't want to have to wear a a short uniform where uh his boils would be showing or his But he ended up winning showing. something at it, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway. It's great. This is a real short thing, but this is a. He's no one much. wanted him to win, like not even him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, I had no interest. I had no interest in anything. I had no idea how I was going to escape. At least the others had some taste for life. They seemed to understand something that I didn't understand. Maybe I was lacking. It was possible. I often felt inferior. I just wanted to get away from them, but there was no place to go. Suicide. Jesus Christ, just more work. I felt like <laughs> sleeping for five years, but they wouldn't let me. So there I was at Chelsea High, still in the ROTC, still with my boils. That always reminded me of how fucked up I was. <laughs> <laughs> just more work. <laughs> <laughs> that, that did kind of strike me. I honestly feel like, and I don't feel like I'm a suicidal person, but I have felt that way. It's like, <sighs> what if I just fucking kill myself? Oh, Jesus. My parents would be crushed. <laughs> it would be so much work for everyone else. Be it would like, be like the worst thing in my niece and nephew's life. Uh, I'm not worried. I, would, I wouldn't do that. But it is weird to think about, like, what would the... <laughs> like, practically what would happen? I would destroy. Everyone would hate it. Well, anyway, yeah. yeah. And, and, the, and here again, I think you see a glimpse of his humor, which is, like, so dark, which is, like, it's not that he doesn't want to do it because he's afraid or anything like that. It's just like, ah, it's too much work. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll say this. I like that Bukowski is always getting into fights, always talking about tough guys, and he's almost always losing the fights, like except for a couple of times. Uh, But but, he just sticks it out longer. Yeah, he always gets his ass kicked. And Mm. um, I don't know. You you expect when a person is writing about themselves that they'll – make themselves look like the hero once in a while. And I suppose it does happen once in a while where he is the hero. But that Kong guy in the football match. But so often, yeah, yeah, exactly. But so often he's <laughs> getting pummeled. Right. And, um, yeah. Or gets pummeled. He talks about it. There's one fight at the end where he's, like, getting the shit kicked out of him at the top of that department store. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and like, they roll under a dodge and the guy hits his head. And then he yeah. starts winning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, he's not afraid to embrace the cheap shot. <laughs> All right, what do you got, Tim? Uh, I think this this part was fucking disgusting. Was when his friend um, Jimmy pissed inside a, a milk carton. Yes, of the of his girlfriend. Of his girlfriend. Yeah, house? yeah. There was that. That was. I don't know what the point with that was, but that was really nasty. Just That's, a way to dominate that house, I guess. <laughs> I mean, there's no clever metaphor. That just seems like yeah. A he just sword. pulls it out of the fridge, right, and then yeah. takes a leak in it. I think he's about to do something else, and then all of a sudden, his girl comes in. Yeah, yeah, and um, kisses him. Yeah, and yeah. he gives all these little glimpses of just like this is such a normal scene until that happens. It's like when he just busts out the milk and pees in it and puts it back in there. It's like um, again, he's like just like these little incongruities. Like, how do you reconcile that with people? Everybody's got their weird little shit. Do you think that actually happened? I would say. I, think, I guess no. I think, I think it happened. Because why, why would you mention that? It seemed like such a specific thing. Mm. But I think it's just maybe to show maybe even his friend who had a girlfriend, like how he treated her. Yeah, and he's like on the outside looking in, like, this asshole has a relationship? How many times have you thought that? It's like, yeah, yeah. This knucklehead is dating someone that's great. Mm hmm. I also feel like this is a general... People probably think that about me all the time. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, well, generally, also, like, there just aren't, like, any good people in this story, like, besides maybe the nurse who 
might not even really have been a good person. She might have just uh, treated him just because it was a duty of hers as opposed to actually caring about the guy. And also just Red and... I mean, I guess uh, what's his what's his name the um, the Marine uh, Becker like he maybe just like those three people, but otherwise everyone everyone was just like just as bad as him, or maybe even worse. Like at least like for him, mm-hmm. he has admitted his like faults, but everyone else seemed kind of just like just terrible people. But we can't. I mean, we don't know their side of the story. Well, I think Bukowski would. Um wonder what kind of I think kind of what he's getting at is um, are humans terrible like are we all terrible and what is redemptive about us you know right I think Bukowski redeemed himself by writing Mm -hmm. and like and sharing some of the awful stuff about his life Mm -hmm. being honest about it that's and I think that's how he found redemption or that's how he he won by losing and talking about it i think there's something like if i were to sum up this book i would say it's not really a story right from like i think you're right joe like it's not really like it's not really like a like you would describe a novel where it's mm-hmm. like a second act where the action climaxed and then right, and then right. a resolution it's like mm-hmm. a bunch of stories right yeah mm-hmm. and like what i liked about it or what i like about this style of writing is like it seems like he like took a second to look at things in his life Use the real things that happened in his life. And then he got to put a little touch on those things. Mm-hmm. Like, he got to say a little bit of what he thought about those things or what it meant to him. You know what I mean? But he mm-hmm. still came from his place. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I kind of like that just in terms of, like, you know, talked about this when we went camping a little bit, but like putting the period on the end of your sentence a little bit. Like, just like mm-hmm. saying, like, oh, you can almost own something that way. You know what I mean? When you, when you, like say what you think about it or or make it something greater than what it is through writing in a way sorry i was like no uh, no i, I think I that's my, good. no reason to apologize for that i think that's all good as on my thoughts. high horse all right well let's wrap this sucker up yeah uh, uh um you don't you, you you don't feel i don't feel like you have to go back to that unless there's something that you're dying to get out well yeah i'm looking to see if there's anything else i mean generally speaking i like i said I mean, I I kind of enjoyed the book. I just I just think I'm more of a fan of reading about people who, like, like even if they're going through struggles, they don't they still like, uh, they they persevere by still trying to be a good person. And like, mm-hmm. even though he shows like little hints of that, like to me, still overall, he's still kind of a dick. I mean, he still picked. I mean, he still fought with everyone, even yeah. his friends. I mean, the mm-hmm. dude. I forgot. He forgot his name. What's his name again? Ben Bentley Becker. Yeah, right at the end they have this crazy fight for no reason, just like out of nowhere. They're having a poker game or whatever, and he starts just fighting everybody. And Henry loses. Yeah. <laughs> like it was really, it was like kind of senseless. Like man, like I feel like if you're a guy who's ha- who has people that do care about you, after every person shuns you for your whole life, then you should still feel some sort of redemption in that. Mm. Which is like, dude, yeah, at least I've got someone here to help me. And be my friend. Why? But why is he still beating up this guy? And in granted, but at the like, end they were the friends. Yeah, at the end they're friends. I mean, yeah. Granted, they were still friends, but it's just like you could still just be nicer. And also, like, <laughs> I, <laughs> you're right. You're good right. night. Good night. For, well, that's what good the note uh, from Bukowski. the uh, modest mouth song called Bukowski keeps saying. God, who'd want to be such an asshole? 
Yeah. And he's talking about Bukowski. I mean, you're right. He could be nicer. Yeah. I think Bukowski knows he could be nicer, which is why he wrote all those things. Mm-hmm. But sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, which is still, I mean, it still just bothers me a little bit because it's like, mm-hmm. I mean, even in the beginning, when, what's his name? His friend David, like, even though that guy was a little weird, still gave him potato chips from his lunch <laughs> and he still wanted to walk alone. It's like, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's not, I don't want to say like, oh, the uh, society tells you that, you know, you should just be courteous and, you know, like, I, I'll admit, I, that's happened to me where I'm just like, oh, you know, this person's nice. I don't really like them that much, but I'll stick around. But sometimes I think, I don't know, sometimes I just kind of ignore that and ask myself, how do I feel? Do I really want to, like, hang out with this guy that might be kind of weird? I ask myself, yeah, why not? Because the guy did offer me something and still being friendly to me. So, like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. That kind of just bugged me because, like, man, you could, you don't have to do that. He just wanted to be left alone. <laughs> I understand what you're saying, Tim. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm no and, um... You know, I think uh, part of the reason those stories are in there is because of this very thing. I think he's struggling with that same thing. It's like he wants human connection, but then when he gets it, he doesn't like it. He's like, ugh, why do all the losers want to be my friend, you know? Yeah. Um, So I think he's struggling with the same thing, and I think uh, you're right. And um, you want to read books uh, about fucking candy land <laughs> i get it you want skittles and rainbows and lollipops twilight series i bet <laughs> uh, i think what we might have discovered is that tim chang may be nicer than charles bukowski yeah <laughs> that could be yeah, the there you go. <laughs> so there's a feather in your cap there sir <laughs> right fuck you charles nah. uh okay all right well um joe hartzler mm-hmm what are you working on, man? Joe Hartzler on Twitter? Yeah, uh, at Joe Hartzler on Twitter. You were just a part of that Funnier Dies Halloween 20-minute uh, yeah, special yeah. video. He did a couple great yeah, sketches was, in there. It was really fun. Uh, used to be Torco. Um, hopefully this will be out. Well, that's still on the front page, so check out Funnier Die. Look for the Marilyn Manson Halloween story thing. Last, th- last couple things. I feel like I should mention my friend Dave Hart because my friend Cool Dave... I think was maybe the first person to get me into Bukowski, and I think I forgot to mention him in the first thing. You mentioned so some, older, him, some older guy. that Yeah, I mentioned Joe, the, the artist. Um, yeah, yeah. But Cool Dave is how I got to know Joe. Oh, cool. So he needs to be mentioned. And what's the other thing? I would... One last thing. Okay. I think the world is sometimes ugly, and sometimes the world is flowers. I think it's both of those things. Um, I love that Bukowski read a lot of books and listened to classical music and so i would say find your music in the face of those things cool kanye west <laughs> oh we always have to mention kanye <laughs> well this concert last night that was amazing great <laughs> you know who i like is that uh willennium will smith oh yeah don't want none of this Getting six gun of it. this yeah, yeah, yeah ten paces and turn just for fun in this wild wild west wiki wiki wild did you go? Did, was he? Did he perform with Kanye at all? Oh man! Damn! Kind of shoot! Damn it! Uh, all right. Uh, hey, Tim Chang on Twitter, Mr. Josh Simpson. Listen, guys, if you want to help us uh, with the show, you can uh, give us a nice rating review in the iTunes Store. You can check out all of our episodes at theeducationoftimchang.com. Like our Facebook page and tell your friends. All right, that's all for today. Fart sound. I am the man you're waiting for. 
I am the man you must adore. I am the man who will fuck you on the floor. I am the man who will make you ask for more. (laughs) (laughs) And more and more. The three girls applauded and laughed and nice crowded touch, around Jim, Jim. him. 